But I've grown to appreciate in my later days as I grow as a Christian other ways. Uh, you might even call them safer ways to grow your anticipation in the coming Christ in the Christmas season. One of this would be uh, things like the Advent wreath that we didn't grow up with, but seeing that and kind of the anticipation that we have of lighting candles. If you see kind of what this celebrates is different things that Christ brings. In his Advent, Christ ushers in and brings with him certain things that we can celebrate and look forward to. So traditionally, you have the candles that mean hope and peace and joy and love. And then the last one, the white candle, is Christ himself that we celebrate. And so this morning, I want to look at a psalm that's centered around this aspect of joy. Um, So if you'll turn in the text, if you're already there, I'm going to read it for us. Psalm 126, and just six verses here. A song of ascents. Hear the reading of God's word. When the, when the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We are glad. Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing the sheaves with him. This is the word of the Lord. Praise to you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us. God of all joy, from whom all blessings flow. We come often with very little anticipation or expectation or reverence because, Father, we often work under the assumption that we're fine on our own. But we aren't. Father, we need you. So, Father, come speak to us. Convict us where it's necessary. Father, break us gently of our independence and lead us to joy unspeakable. In your holy son's name we pray these things. Amen. Well, as you see at the top of the psalm, it says Song of Ascent. And the reason why it's labeled that, that in, uh, is one of 15 psalms that are labeled Song of Ascent. They were written to be sung, uh, specifically written to be sung by the people of God as they kind of journeyed up the hill towards Jerusalem in the temple to worship. And so this would have been a psalm sung to help prepare the hearts of God's people to worship him. Uh, We don't exactly know who wrote the psalm, but in the grand scheme of things, I'm not sure that that matters much. Um, We hear that in this psalm, we see a people that are in the midst of sadness and struggle. And they're looking back on a time of prosperity, a time of laughter, a time of joy in their lives. And they're longing for God to restore those days. Um, Just stopping there for a minute and just asking the question, can any of you relate to that? Can any of you find yourself in a season where you're looking back at another time in your life or another season in your life and longing for those days to come back? Robert Robinson experienced a radical awakening awakening as a young adult. He had been going down a very dark path, 
and he found himself somehow in a worship service, and he heard the gospel, perhaps for the first time. He, he understood his need for a Savior, and he was convinced that that Savior was Jesus Christ. And, and for a season, there was this radical shift in his life. The dark clouds kind of dissipated, and light seemed to show in his life. He had happiness, and he had joy, and he seemed to have everything together. Um, and it was during this time that this young man, who had had his eyes open to Christ, penned the hymn, Come Thou Fount, of every blessing. But after a time, Robert found himself in a season where those clouds began to come back into his life. The gloom and the darkness that had once plagued him was back, and he began to struggle again, perhaps even more than before. And more than he was more aware of the sin than he had been in the past and, and that it wasn't going away and it kept coming back to him. And so he decided to just get away and start doing some traveling. So he found himself far away from home sharing a car with a young woman that he didn't know. And, and at some point during their travels together, she asked him if she could share a hymn that she was reading. And so she began reading the words of this hymn, and as, he, as she started reading it, she realized that he, she was reading, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. This hymn had ministered to her, and she was just taken by its lyrics, and, and perhaps in a state of kind of embarrassment that this was his, and that she was experiencing what he had, but knew that he wasn't. He tried to change the subject, but she kept bringing it back to this, and suddenly he just was overwhelmed by the moment and began to weep. With tears streaming down his cheek, he said, I am the man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I'd do anything to experience again the joy that I knew then. And this woman, greatly surprised, obviously, of who was in her presence, said this, reassuring him and saying, the streams of mercy truly never cease. It's very common for us, whether you're a believer or a seeker, to experience kind of the ups and downs of life. Perhaps you were like me and Robert thinking that once you gave your life to Jesus, he would come in and just disperse the clouds and everything would be rainbows and clear skies and calm seas all the way to heaven. And we would just kind of wait his return in that frame of mind. But the reality for me and perhaps many of you as well is that Christianity or being a follower of Christ has brought with it many hardships and many things that maybe were worse than before. These greater extremes of sorrow and joy higher highs and lower lows. And I think if we're looking at Psalm 126, the psalmist this morning can relate as he's looking back and he's longing for restoration of the fortunes of Zion. If we look at verse 1 together, there's this sense that this, this fortune was so long ago that he's comparing it to a dream. Like maybe it never happened. Something that he remembers but can't really tell reality from dream. Verse 2, there was laughter. 
Many of us, if we get in these, you have these times or you have people that you're around that just bring humor and fun back, and, and laughter can be such of the greatest medicine, as they say. Um, and it, it almost seems like the older and more mature we get, the less we laugh, the less things we find funny. But laughter, if you think about it, it's a product of peace. Laughter is a product of comfort that we're experiencing. He also talks of joy. And, and as we see here, and as we've even maybe experienced, joy is this thing that's hard to restrain. Like once it comes over us, it just creates these outbursts that are genuine. Some of us experience this on Christmas morning, or at least have as a child, or going in the first number of the singing Christmas tree, or whatever it is. Um, I, uh, let, me, let me preface this story by saying this. My wife allows me one sporting reference per sermon, um, because I, I tend to get overtaken with sporting and realize that not all of you like sports. So this is the one. So just, just know this. Uh, in 2022, uh, both the teams that I have followed since I was a child both experienced the climbing of the greatest mountain in their respective sports, both the Atlanta Braves. Uh, any Braves fans? Yeah. Um, and my alma mater, the Georgia Bulldogs, both kind of ascended their respective hills and reached the top uh, of their class. And, and I found myself in that moment that year multiple times along the journey becoming a bit unhinged. Um, I spent money. Uh, I, I told you I had four kids, right? And, and then me and my wife, I spent, I don't know how much money on championship gear, thinking we may never be here again. The last was 95 or 1980, which was almost when I was born. Uh, so we've got to get it now while it's fresh. Uh, and so we bought all this gear uh, only to watch the price drop to like 90% off a few weeks later. And I could have bought it for like $10. Um, a couple of other things I did over this time that I'm not necessarily ashamed of. I embraced strangers, like embraced strangers uh, physically. Um, I texted folks that I was at odds with, um, that we hadn't talked with for years, but I figured if anything's going to bring us together, it's these two moments in history. So I texted with them that I hadn't texted in years. And it, and it occurred to me during this moment when I'm connecting over these two teams, this must be evangelism that they talk about in its most natural form of just this joy, this overwhelming sense of happiness and wanting everyone that I knew to know and share in this moment together. Um, we see something similar to this in the end of verse 2, going into verse 3. To the nations, God has done great things for you. To the family of God, God has done great things for you. It's this overwhelming sense of what has happened here must go out and be shared amongst the family of God, but also to the surrounding nation. And so the question for us maybe this morning is to ask the question, what happens when joy seems to dry up? Like Robert Robinson, who experienced it for a time, but then the clouds start to move back in. How do we keep this moment alive? How do we keep going? How do we continue to experience joy? Look at verse 4. 
Restore our fortunes, O Lord, like the streams of the Negev. In the midst of the struggle and hardship, the psalmist has not stopped asking for God for restoration. And there's, there's interesting imagery here when he mentions the streams of the Negev. If, if you know anything about the region, and I don't, I had to look it up. I'm not going to try to act smart in front of you. I looked it up like all of you would, probably Googled it, okay, and realized that the region of the Negev is a very dry area. Uh, it has a lot of drought that happens in southern Palestine, gets very little rain. But in the rainy season, they're prone to flash floods. It's kind of the opposite. So in the rainy season, these floodwaters will overflow the banks of these once dry riverbeds and just kind of wipe away everything in its path. And so if we read that context into the psalm, what the psalmist is saying is, like torrential floodwaters, wipe out all the suffering. Wipe away all the struggle that we've faced and bring back fortune. When joy seems absent, we continue to come to the Lord and ask Him for restoration. And, and how better to ask God for something than to use His own word? Verse 5, those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. There's a lot for us in this little verse. Um, it's saying that joy is produced even in our sadness. Did you guys see that? Pick up on that? Uh, there's other promises that are similar to this in Scripture. I just want to share a few about how our sufferings give way to joy. Psalm 30 says, uh, We weep that lasts for a night, but joy comes in the morning. James 1, Count it all joy when you meet trials. Psalm 27, my enemies all around me, and I will offer in my tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. Finally, Psalm 51, this famous psalm of David after he's had an affair with Bathsheba and killed her husband, and Nathan the prophet confronts him, and he's overwhelmed by his sin and all that he's done, and he pens these words, let me hear joy and gladliness, gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. These verses highlight how often we can, uh, perhaps like me when my team's won, I can confuse happiness with joy, realizing that these are very two different things. Happiness, it's a feeling that we get when our circumstances line up or exceed our expectations, right? My team wins. Happiness. The very next season, my team loses in terrible fashion. Non-happiness. Opposite of happiness. No happiness. No gear. I didn't buy any national. I didn't care that we won. You know, our, it didn't matter. Nothing was bought. Um, it's the idea of Christmas morning unwrapping gifts, but what about the next moment? Teams hoisting trophies or watching others. It's very circumstance-driven. It's, it's rooted in our circumstances. They either meet and line up with our expectations or they exceed them, but what if they don't? That's happiness. It's a feeling. But joy, in comparison, joy, that's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. 
not your circumstances. Happiness is rooted in circumstances. Joy is rooted in Christ. It's given to us through Christ. Happiness is great. We all like happiness, but it dries up. And the reality is there are no promises in Scripture that I could point you to this morning and say, go here, cling to this. God is going to give you happiness. There's none that I can point to. It's, it's like a toy that you open and you have that moment, but you know that toy is probably not going to make the next 24 hours. As our kids start playing with it and rough it up, it's probably not going to make the next morning. But joy, joy on the other hand, is promised to every believer. It's rooted in Scripture. It's a promise that you can cling to. Hardship and suffering produce these eternal fruits of glory and joy. I love the way the New American Standards translation um, translates this. Uh, first, or 2 Corinthians 4.17. It talks about this momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Tim Keller says, uh, talks about the Christian faith, and he says this, if you're a new Christian, I want you to know your future. Quantitatively, you'll have as much joy as weeping, as much weeping as joy. Quantitatively, there will be a note of joy that can never be put out, a kind of pilot light. Even when the burner is off, look down in there. It's still burning. So that when the gas does show up, there's a flame again. Even in times of weeping, there's a pilot light of joy. I love that imagery, a pilot light of joy. In the end, the joy is always the final note. As we kind of turn towards the table here, I want us to see that it's the very nature of the Father to move towards His children through the person of Jesus Christ when we experience brokenness. Your brokenness, your struggle, your hardship is not a red flag that Jesus says, you know what, you look like you're going through something, I'll come back in a minute. It's that that invites him. It's his very nature to move towards this brokenness, to move towards this hardship and move into it with you and be there with you. That's the promise of Scripture for us is that our brokenness draws Christ in towards us to be close to us, to give us joy in the midst of hard circumstances. To sure you up with his most powerful gifts. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. In our struggles, we continue to ask for God to come in and make things right. We affirm all the promises that he had to us, has for us, and we cling to those. But verse 6 also clarifies something else. Not only do we believe these promises, we act on them. Look at verse 6. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing. Do you see what's happening there, the imagery? 
that, that we're walking around a mess, that we're literally just like gushing tears and, and walking around in our life just this floodgate sowing as we go, that our tears are literally falling, sowing, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Is that there's this imagery of us going out and being broken before others, that we're walking and moving about, sowing these tears and, and bringing in sheaves, bringing in this product with us, corn or whatever it might be, this fruit back with us. Not only do we believe these promises, not only do we uh, cling to them, but we act on them. We go out. Um, I'm also told that I only get one Lord of the Ring reference, and I noticed that I hinted one, at one a little while ago, so this may be a violation. Um, but in Tolkien's book or movie, whichever one you saw, The Two Towers, there's this moment where the, the people, the, this, the uh, nation of men, are surrounded by the enemy. And they've held up in this Helm's Deep, which is this impenetrable force, and, and, and all of their defenses are spent. They're out of options, and they've kind of barricaded themselves into the, the, the most inner circle of this keep, and, and the enemy is right at the door. It's literally pounding the door and about to break it down. And, and there's really only one thing left, and it's a promise that Gandalf makes to Aragorn before they end, their, end up going to and split apart and go to Helm's Deep and he goes to get help is, y'all remember what he says? Look for me at dawn. Look for my coming. That he comes with the dawn and he's bringing help with them. That's really all that they have left. They've used up all their defenses and so they're in this keep and he looks through a window if you've seen the movie and he sees kind of the beginning shining of the sun, and he remembers that promise. And you remember what he does from there? He looks, this, this future king in waiting, looks to the current king, Theoden, and he says this, ride out with me and meet them. And so there's this sense that this promise has been made, and they could stay in the keep, hoping that it helps and, and all of that comes to pass, or... They could walk out. They could ride out to meet, believing that the promise is going to be fulfilled. And that's what Aragorn does in the movie is, is they break through the doors. And they, if you've seen it, and this, they're mowing down all these people. And, and all of a sudden, you hear this horn. And you look up on the, on the hilltop, and it's Gandalf and the rest of Theoden's men. And they come crashing down from the hill. And the enemy is wiped out utterly. But Aragorn hangs his life. He hangs his existence, his continued existence, on this promise that help will come. And so it's important for us, people of faith, not merely to believe these promises that we've been given are true, but to act on them, to hang our life on them, which for us may mean in a season of waiting, holding out. Trusting the Lord, banding together with other people and, and weeping and lamenting, realizing that even that is not, it's not creating weakness, it's creating fruit in us and for others to see our brokenness, but also our hope that God will keep his promises. 
It means clinging to those promises, acting on those promises. Now I want to stop right there because you could, you could say that and you say, okay, so I need to ask the Lord for things. And then Jeff said, okay, he has promises. I'm going to cling to those and I need to act on them. So ask, uh, cling, and, and act. Okay, I'm going to ask, cling, and act. And if you walked out of here with just those three points and you just came out and you're like, okay, I'm going to try harder. And in your own efforts, I'm just going to give you, you won't make it. You will not make it if that's what you take away from this. Joy is a fruit of God's Spirit. God's Spirit is a gift of His grace. And God's grace comes to us through the person of Jesus Christ in His life, in His death, in His resurrection. It's, it's not your effort that brings you joy. It's not your trying or your waiting or your holding out, your toughness, your mental fortitude that brings joy into your life. It's a gift. It's a good Father moving towards us in the person of Jesus Christ. And so when we look at this table, that's what we celebrate. The reason why you guys and many others do it every week is because weeks are tough. (laughs) And you need this reminder Like We need to sing these songs. We need to hear these truths. And we need to act in a a place that is a sign and seal of the promises that God has offered to you in this table. You need to get up. You need to taste this and remember. You need to take up the arms and and, and the promises of God that He's given you. And he, He will restore us. He will come to us. He will meet us. Help will come. Let me pray for us. Father, we pray that this morning we be reminded that the streams of mercy are never ceasing. That the Christian life is also tuning our hearts to sing your praise, which means we are out of tune. We need to be brought back. We need to have our hearts refixed upon you, a work that you can only do. Father, as we acknowledge that we are prone to wander, may we also embrace that it is Christ who takes and seals our hearts for the courts above. That even now, our Savior sits next to the Father advocating for us even in this moment. So, Father, may we receive and be blessed with unspeakable joy. In your Holy Son's name we pray. Amen.